Hey everyone, this is Isaac, and you are listening to Everything Comes From Something, an unoriginal podcast about unoriginality. This is episode 56. We are so psyched you're here and that you're listening. Just up front, if you want to support the show, you can tell friends or family about it. That is the best way on how podcasts grow. Of course, you can give us a rating on iTunes. I don't know if they have ratings on Spotify, to tell you the truth. And uh, if you want to give us further support, you can throw a couple bucks our way at patreon.com slash podcast. With no more further ado, please enjoy the show. instrument that's probably the nicest compliment someone has ever said to me about making sound yeah i remember when i did um i did choir and they they said that the best thing about singing is that you're the you're the musical instrument get the power from your diaphragm yeah which is stand up straight and and it was it was weird because i was like yeah but why would i want to be the musical instrument when i could play it a lot better. The sheer amount of musical instruments in my room right now is quite daunting. Yeah. There's a pile of drums. My friend Travis, he moved away to college and we were storing my drum set, my huge drum set at in his parents' garage. And so when he was moving out, they were like, hey, what about this drum set that you guys have been keeping in here for like two years, not doing anything with? And so now I have a huge stack of drums in my room, Cameron. It's taller than you. It is a literal stack too. It's not like... It's, it, that's not a figurative meaning of the word. I'm sure if you're a drummer, you'd probably be offended by the fact that I just stacked them. But when I went to Star Musician yesterday, that's just that's how they had all their drums stacked. Yeah, well, I mean, where would you... If you had to put it up, you know what I mean? Like, this is just obviously sitting in your room. Right. I assume temporarily. We'll see. Um, but, like, if you, if you had to put it up, where would you put it up? Glenn's in- room? <laughs> I don't know. There's no room in Glenn's room. Yeah. There's hardly any room in our garage. My dad for sure would not want this in his garage. That's the, that's probably the worst thing about drums is they're just so inconvenient to have. Mm, mm. Uh, they really do take up an entire room. It feels like. Yeah. And they're, they're dumb loud. They're really loud. They are. Yeah. They're super loud. Well, I mean, they've got to be. You can't, yeah, you can't really knock it against them. A good kit sounds great. Our kit sounds awesome, but yeah, there's it's just, my room looks like. A junkyard. What about those rubber pads that they put over the top? Uh, you know about no, those? no. Uh, you can see I have a little um, container of gels that you put on the drum heads. They're really small. It almost looks like a little makeup container. It's on. It's on the bar stool table over there. Um, but you still can't oh. find it. Yeah, you put these gels on the heads, and it kind of reduces sound. And you can actually, depending on where you put them, on the diaphragm of the drum head. I think that makes sense. Um, or on the top of the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, if it was a piece of pizza, the top of the drum head, you know, <laughs> it's like, where would you put the one pepperoni? Right. You know, and right. depending on where you put it, or that little uh, plastic slice separator <laughs> whatever it is wherever you put it it defines the tone and how loud or quiet it'll adjust some people hate the gels i think they work good for what they are they just mm. absorb some of that tone tone but you ladies and gentlemen are absorbing everything comes from something episode 56 welcome to the show my right. name is isaac right into your brain <laughs> It's just coming in loud and clear. You ever think about how... Oh, Cameron, my name is Cameron. Thank you. Jeez. 
Hey, this no, is this no is, wait. Hold on, hold uh, on, hold on. Fight me. You ever think about how when you're listening to a podcast, you're you stick something into your ear and then it just pumps you full of words of someone else's thoughts. I think that's how I feel when I listen to Joe Rogan. Yeah. The other day I was listening to some nonsense on his show. Who was it? Eric Weinstein. Bernie I, Sanders? No, Eric Weinstein. Uh, I, the guy. I, yeah, he's 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 pretty good. He's interesting, but it was also a bunch of just really kind of stupid commentary. I'm not going to lie. They were talked about nothing for about an hour and a half before I was like, I can't take any more of this. Granted, I guess no, our show isn't starting any better. But no, actually, I no, I think they they had a really interesting discussion. Actually, what is this it's a like, podcast review podcast? Mm, oh, now that's an interesting idea. Well, there's a thought. How meta is that? How I, boring is that? Yeah, that'd be terrible. Just commentary on other people's commentary. Actually, no, that's that's what a lot of like streams are on YouTube. I guess. Can no. you imagine if there was like a lone Twitch streamer in Canada? Shout out to our Canadian audience because apparently we have some people listening to us in Canada. Um, if you're listening to us in Canada, email us at ecfspodcast at gmail.com. Really? Yeah, I want to hear about your Canadian experience. That's true. I would love to hear that. Um, but imagine if we just had some lone Canadian streamer who was reacting to just the audio file. Of our podcast live on twitch.tv yeah it was like <laughs> he's, just, he's just like my audience can you is there people i guess that's true most of streaming is just commentary over someone else's creation yeah someone else's video well like or, i'm i'm thinking specifically those like streams that are trying to debunk things or like you know they're response videos but they're big long streams <laughs> and they're no. like they're like four hours long and you're like oh my gosh this is too much that sounds too great much that me. sounds like something you would watch cameron it is something i watch yeah anyways welcome to the show cameron this is the first episode in five episode where where we haven't had someone as a guest i know it feels a little bit like where we don't know what we're doing it's really weird. Yeah. Or it's like that episode of Friends where, you know, Monica and Chandler, they just keep trying to get away alone. You know, they just, you know, they're trying to get some alone time, but people keep barging <laughs> in. The whole episode, they never get it. They never um, can find time to be alone. Instead, they deal with Ross crying or... I never watched Friends, so... Uh, but I understand the The, the analogy, yeah. Except the only difference is we're not, you know, trying to get some lovers alone time. We are, but just oh, not maybe on, this is it. Just not on mic. Surprise! <laughs> Don't tell Juliana. Yeah, I won't. Oof. Anyways, today's episode, episode fifty-six, is all about controversial video games, politics in video games, and violent video games, which I love. I uh, yeah, we we are gamers, so this commentary might skew a little bias, but we have been trying our best to actually read some research and studies. I signed into my uh, EBSCO host school <laughs> um, library, whatever it's called. No, no, this is called OneSearch. And these are peer-reviewed articles or books that we're, we're trying to pull some research from. I was genuinely surprised because, you know, with the recent shootings that happened, um, we had one in Gilroy, which is really close to us in the Bay Area. And two more, one in Texas, where was that one called? El Paso, Texas. El Paso, and the and third one. in Dayton, Ohio. Super tragic events. If if you're involved with anything or anywhere near those, first of all, I think everyone's heart is just broken over it. It's horrible. Horrible. 
uh, situation. We don't really want to dive into any sort of commentary on that. Although Cameron and I, we love to talk about politics and whatnot, but we just thought that, first of all, we don't have a lot of expertise in that, in that field of study, I guess. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of studies going around around this, but um, yeah, we kind of wanted to skip the commentary uh, on that side and of course share our condolences. But what we really wanted to get to was there has been a response in the media about violent video games and Cameron and I are gamers and you know, a lot of this can seem what I've noticed is that there's a lot of reaction where the media will say, oh, these violent video games are turning our kids evil. Um, and then, well, hold on because I think it's weird. The discussion around this has been, has been a little strange. On on the one hand, you have people who who say, you know, violent video games are the problem, blah blah blah, and then and then on the other hand, you have you have people who, without without bringing up any sort of um, statistic, I mean, neither side brings up statistics, is what I'm trying to say. Is like there's no there's not really any any research done into in into these positions it's like no video games aren't the problem it's this that's evil or yes video games are the problem and this isn't the problem you know you know what i mean it's used as sort of a deflection tactic in a lot of ways on on both on both sides of the debate but i think we've seen a lot of um i think we've seen a lot of really interesting commentary about how how video games are playing a role in the I guess the the adolescent the gr- people growing up um, in the modern era. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know if you've been listening to our show for a while, Cameron and I both like politics and video games, and of course I follow a bunch of different stuff and and see what's been talked about on the news, and I get like this two sides of coins. I got double sided coin. What coin isn't double sided? What am I saying? What's the point <laughs> of that analogy? Um, Basically, uh, what I'm saying is it's like the news will come out and say these video games are turning people or are really corrupting the minds of um, or influencing the level of violence in the U.S. And then on the other hand, I'll be following these news companies that are all based around video games that are just like, this is not true. This is not true. And I like what you said about there's not a lot of facts, facts or statistics involved in it. A lot of people will mention a quick study that's been done uh and then move on quickly being like yeah the the other side is stupid um so today Cameron and I we spent a really short time just kind of looking through some articles uh reading through a couple books I really only pulled out one book that I thought was super interesting and it's by this guy named Professor Barry Gunter I think looks like he teaches psychology at the University of Wales um social psychology in the university of london and psychology at east london a bunch of different stuff he's got a bunch of different career or a long career it seems but he wrote this book that i found was quite interesting when i was kind of skimming through it it's called does video games make players more violent and what i liked about what i was reading in his in his in his book and his synopsis is that he began to compare or really he began to commentate on the issues with studying 
video game violence and the people who, you know, actually commit violence in the real world. It's something that's hard to expose causality. Cause, did I say that right? Yeah, causality yeah. through uh, both of those two different parties. Um, I can read a bit, but I wanted to know if you had anything else to mention. Yeah, well, I think I think what we we're gathering from that that paper was that you can show a generalized trend after playing video games of like an attitude shift, right? So he he was pointing to some studies that showed that video games immediately after increase um, signs of aggression in uh, in the video game players. This but is a quote. You can't. Oh yeah, go go. Yeah, this is a quote from page forty where he's talking about causality. Um, the latter displays can take the form of aggression or aggressive thoughts, aggressive feelings, or aggressive behavior. And this is referring to laboratory-based studies um, where they have people sit down and play video games for a while. And then he continually brings up the idea of, let me see. I want to get his wording correct here. Um, aggressive behavior is different than aggressive action, um, which yeah, is a so, thing. So, yeah, so he was, I think what he was saying was just because you can show a study that says it causes aggressive thoughts or it causes aggressive ideas in, in video games, in video game players, that doesn't necessarily correlate to, to those actions manifesting in real-world violence. Here's another quote from page 140. He says, If analog measures... That's the word I was looking for. Mm. Analog measures are used to substitute for real aggression. Do those substitute measures really and truly represent how a video game player might actually behave in real life? And this conclusion is unclear. Moreover, it is important to be sure that the participants in the experiments do not second-guess what the study is about, and therefore comply with the researchers aims by giving them findings that they may seek what i notice is that some of the studies we were reading through involved a lot of adolescence mm -hmm. um and i really was uncomfortable it, i mean it's been what let's see like five years almost five years since i've been in high school for me it doesn't feel that long ago yeah and they were talking about how they did this study about grand theft auto 4 with a sample size of 360 high school students, which I thought was kind of small, but that, that, I mean, that's just my personal opinion with statistics. I don't remember what the actual sample size, like is like the set, like, oh, this is a good understandable sample size, but it was survey based about aggression and violence. Well, they were saying, uh, the responses were a survey of like, how often do you play video games? How often do you play Grand Theft Auto 4? And then of that subset of the population, how often do you feel? I, I can't remember what the follow-up questions were. It but was like less than half of the players actually played that specific game. And then they concluded data from it. And also it's high school students. Like straight up, my friends in high school, when we got a survey, would they would just write the craziest stuff on there. Like just because they're like, oh, you know, like, why not? Um, and I'm sure there are plenty of great moral high school students who are like, yes, we are going to write the correct response. But if I was sitting in a room with my friends about and, and taking a survey about violence in video games, my friends are, were a bunch of nerds in high school and they probably would have butchered the answers on purpose. Mm. You know, like I'm yeah. just being 100 percent honest. Yeah. Um, 
so I found it really interesting uh, this book that Barry Gunter wrote kind of exposing the issues with with most of the studies revolving around video games and he sort of debunks um, the survey-esque studies he, he doesn't think they make sense and from a psychology perspective it's interesting to see how there's like this analog response that they try to derive some sort of conclusion with and their conclusions aren't wrong right aggressive behavior after playing video games is nothing new to me um, well aggressive behavior or aggressive feeling like, aggressive feeling sorry i meant to say feeling yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you don't go out <laughs> like i don't you punch don't... a wall after i'm done playing overwatch no have you have you ever like thrown your controller never. or anything yeah never, me neither never like i've never experienced like that kind of i knew a guy who in i mean we were young we were probably in like elementary school maybe middle school but he got really really frustrated and he threw his controller on the floor and it smashed the only yeah the only gamer rage that i've seen that has resulted in physical violence is from super smash brothers (laughs) that game causes so much like anger amongst these guys who think they're good I don't know. It mm-hmm. it just feels personal. There's something about that game that feels personal when you lose or when you're fighting. Yeah, those fighting games, I can I can see some rage coming out. Um, but you know, I'm a big I'm a big player of Overwatch, which is a fairly competitive game. And I got to be honest, as far as aggressive feelings or emotions, which these psychology studies um, analyze. Like I'd probably be off the chart sometimes. I like I play the game to relax, and sometimes I'm like, this isn't relaxing. I'm mad, you know. Like, no, I I actually totally feel that too because you get real. There is a frustration that happens, and there's definitely a you feel more tense and more. Uh, I I guess aggressive is the proper word for it, right? You yeah. feel like. But it's the same. I mean, I feel like it's the same thing with any game. You know what I mean? You you start losing in like a sport, or you know, you you played football in high school. Yeah. And you know, we we grew up playing sports, and there was a frustration that happened when you start losing, or you start, you know, your teammates don't you know don't line up well, or you know, there's there is a certain amount of frustration that builds up, mm-hmm. and so I think that's a, that's a natural response to things not going wrong in your in in an endeavor right like a game is just a a set of coordinated behaviors all all attempting to achieve a goal and opposing one another and and so when you when you don't reach that goal the frustration mounts you know what i mean and so i think when gunter points out the analog study of these emotions coming out of gamers playing games it makes a lot of sense why when we're reading through some of these studies or, or kind of observing the synopsis of do violent video games have an impact on people specifically, we get a lot of results saying aggressive feelings or aggressive emotions result from games. And I, you know, I, as a gamer, a part of me just being honest with my, my bias, I'm like, no, like that's, you know, that's not true. But the more I started to think about it, I was like, yeah, like I, I do get a little frustrated when I'm playing games. You know, the Definitely. only the only game that I think is beyond Zen to me is like Breath of the Wild. <laughs> Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I mean, like I just get very relaxed when I'm playing that game. See, I don't know what another thing that you have to think about, I think, is what other games that are nonviolent also also, you know, 
make you respond that way right make you frustrated in that way i think rocket league probably you know for for a lot of people i don't play that much but but rocket league is a game where it where you you get frustrated you know when things don't go go well if you've overcooked overcooked is another one where it's like you're not it's not even just frustrated (laughs) at the game it's frustrated at your partner too (laughs) yeah i think um you've seen a lot of rage with like super mario maker um, there, there are plenty mm, yeah. of innocent games where the frustration level can go up uh, a lot. I mean, and I would say that classification of aggressive attitudes is probably transferable to to nonviolent video games in a lot of ways. You know, it's also what I mean? probably transferable. I liked your analogy with sports, right? To a lot of other different media's. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I've sat down with some sports fans on a Super Bowl Sunday and been kind of shocked by the behavior that comes out of these people who like two minutes before the game starts seem completely fine well remember we we talked about a war that happened because of because of football soccer it was soccer yeah Yeah. um so like there is there is a response to two games in a certain way that causes frustration and aggressive behavior. I think I think that's I think that's blatantly obvious for most people. They look at and and then you even think about how many times have you heard of, you know, riots happening or, you know, fights breaking out at football games and blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Like there are there are so many calculated coordinated incidents where these these violent these violent actions take place right after after a game or something something like that and then even in even in uh the uk they've got a name for it they, they're called football hooligans you know what i mean like they have they have it's a it's a documented phenomenon i gotta say that when i'm in my next overwatch game like you guys are a bunch of comp hooligans <laughs> <laughs> people just going crazy foaming at the mouth all over their microphone is what it feels like cameron and i were discussing a little bit earlier this is a side note how wild some of these online gamers are like the amount of oh, things yeah. the, the things that come out of their mouths when we're playing <laughs> games online is just shockingly entertaining and horrifying at the same time yeah absolutely that's beside the point i'm sorry I, the, but, i'll let you know but you, you know what i mean right that, yeah like in, let's say in the uk they have this this well-documented phenomenon of people getting violent after after football games is there ever a call to ban football like i don't think so no yeah so so the question to me is less so the connection between video games and aggressive behavior and more the connection of okay so what do we do about that necessarily you know what i mean like if if games are the problem then it's not just video games it's it's not just it's not just the violence that happens right after right after you know playing playing modern warfare or something it's 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 also expandable to football and to other video games that aren't violent and to com- competition generally yeah what i like about gunter's book at least the portions i've read which i've not read all of it so take it with a grain of salt what i enjoyed about it is that he said currently a lot of the studies that are being done are flawed because causality cannot be proven when you have someone sit down and play a video game 
and then kind of monitor their psychological response because action and thought are like two different things right yeah and you can't you can't connect that to any um any statistical upswing or any particular violent action in the real world it's it's hard right and and he he explains like this is the hardest thing about studying such a subject is you can't have people play games and then you know give them a bat and say all right do you want to smash something like what like do you want to commit some sort of violence right like get it out right like somehow push them to commit a violence if that's something that they wanted to do i'm sort of confused on how you would even make that available mm-hmm. um and this is why kind of a lab study shows some flaw in it i think the conversation about aggressive um thought or you know feeling is a good conversation to be aware of as far as the content of video games you know we talk about the difference between mario and call of duty there is a level of self-regulation in the in the gaming market right now that is being completely ignored by a majority of the media i mean the esrb rates games for a specific reason yeah and it's been around since you know 1994 or whatever like it's it's a pretty long-standing uh, rating system and it's the same with movies you know does the rating system need improvement maybe and maybe that's something to be considered or, or be spoken up about towards the ESRB. Actually, as a matter of fact, the creation of the ESRB started with Mortal Kombat in 1993. Um, Mortal Kombat had these violent fatalities. Now they look kind of comical if you go back and play the game. But these horrific scenes, quote, quote, really led um, politicians to, and most parent groups, to have outrage. And so this group was formed to put a rating on most games. Now, I think what bothers me a lot about adolescence talking about adolescence and violent video games is that all the blame is put on the video game industry and none of the blame is put on the parents that let their kids play certain games and i understand this is kind of eye rolling for some people right where it's like well you know call of duty is for kids isaac you know like or that's game is for a younger audience (laughs) what i people have said that to me people have said that to me they're like that game is for kids you know and I hear you, you know, like there's a weird gingerbread man outfit and people are doing dabs in multiplayer or whatever. I hear what you're saying, right? But the game does have a fat M on it, right? It's for 17 and up. And yet, I don't know why every time I boot up Black Ops 2, I hear, hey, mommy, you know, like little kids scream. I'm sorry, my falsetto is still gone from last week when I lost my voice. Um, uh, it's just like, there's still kids playing that game. And it's like, Whose fault is it that the kid is playing the game? Well, I mean, that's always that's always the big question is like, why do parents let children play video games that are obviously not appropriate for them? You know what I mean? Like in my I mean, in my upbringing, I was never really allowed to play, you know, M rated games. I, I was I pretty much had if I wanted to, I had to I had to sneak it in somehow. You know, I had yeah. to. I had to not play it when my parents were around and you know, kids will do that. I'm, I'm sure. But, but like who, who allowed kids to play, to play these violent games? It's, it's obviously the parents. And I, I don't, I don't know why there's more, not more of a 
sort of cultural stigma around like letting your kids watch or listen or play something that is obviously not intended for children you know what i mean like why isn't that more of a of a stigmatized thing as or, a, a, or a standard right i mean i yeah. i could tell my parents kind of sacrificed watching things or or you know even playing video games in front of me that they thought would just be unhealthy to be around or, or have in the house because they thought it would affect me right um and we talked about this with Ruben actually back in episode 51, I think we were talking about comedy. Um, and we mentioned something about movies with parents, right. Where he was saying like, my dad would say, well, if you're in the room, it's your fault. Right. Um, and like, I think there is a level of maturity that grows with that for kids. You know, when I was in middle school, I really wanted to play call of duty. Like that was huge for me. And my dad was like, no way am I going to let you play this violent game. Um, and somehow like I just beat him over the head and justified it. Um, but I remember that he had really specific rules about it. The reason I was able to play it, and I've said this before on the show is that it had a graphic contents filter. Um, now if, if you're a Call of Duty fan, you'll know that it'll ask you that at the beginning, like, are you okay with seeing this graphic content? If not, you can disable it. And I think that's a really tasteful thing to do on the developer's part where it censors blood, literally it censors language mm. in the game, um, and it and it censors, uh, I know this can go with blood gore, like it's like a dismemberment of mm. characters, yeah. which, you know, this is where as a kid I was really a naughty, a naughty dude, <laughs> because I would turn the graphic content on when my parents went home, because if you played zombies, you know making crawlers is a huge strategy in zombies. (laughs) But if you played with the graphic filter off, you couldn't blow the legs off the zombies. Um, That makes a ton of sense. It's actually really (laughs) difficult to get, to get further without blowing the legs off the zombies. Like it's important. It's important strategy for zombies. How do you even play zombies without the, with the content filter? I don't know. You want to try it after this? No. (laughs) Yeah, but um, it's it's like an interesting conversation. Now, what about, like, I'm just curious about your opinion on this, Cameron. Mm. What about Fortnite? Yeah, no, that's interesting because I think it's technically rated T for teen, which is. is 13 and older. It's not It's not violent really in the same way, but it is violent. I mean, it's still cartoonishly violent. There's machine guns. There, there's a lot of guns. Yeah. And I mean, the whole point is to shoot other people. The whole obviously. gun, the the whole game is looks like a Pixar film, though. Yeah. Right. But but you got to think about it. Like, what other games were were T for teen that I played as a kid? Mag, Mag was basically like COD Light. You yeah, know, it's yeah. it's basically Call of Duty without it as much uh, swearing and blood. So it was T. You know, what were the T games I played? And I don't I don't even think that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Star Wars Battlefront. I play a lot of Star Wars Battlefront. Yeah, me too. But like... But that game feels more appropriate than than MAG. Yeah. For me, in, in some weird way. You MAG know is I mean? a military shooter. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty much just plays like Call of Duty. Yeah. Whereas Battlefront is star- has a Star Wars skin over it. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation for sure, right? Um, 
I don't know where else to take this. Was there any other studies? There was something you mentioned about global or, or national violence statistics. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was... When we were doing this um, talk initially, we, we were thinking about how how would you calculate if video games ever had an effect in the real world? And to my best estimation, what you would have to do, because like you said, you can't, you can't simulate it in any study in, or any lab study in, in some way. You would have to make, you would have to make a correlation between video game players, the, the amount of video game players in the population and then you would have to correlate that with with violence. And even that wouldn't tell causation. Like, you wouldn't be able to say whether or not violence was up because video game players were up or the, the other way around, you know what I mean? Like, if, if video game playing, violent video game playing was up because the population generally was more violent. But in any case, that's not at all what we see. I mean, st- steadily since... 1992 1991 the crime rate has been has been dropping um every year so 1991 was the peak of the violent crime rate um and and that's been that's been dropping according to the fbi since then um and obviously 1991 was you know near the start of the video game industry it started in the late 80s i guess and, it, and the uh, gaming industry has actually grown substantially year in and year out. Actually, um, it's exploded, yeah. It's pretty crazy. I'm looking at some statistics right now. It says the video game market is has expected worth to be over 90 billion U.S. dollars by 2020, and it's and it's nearly at 78.61 billion in 2017. That's according to the Best News 2016. I mean, and um, it's 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 bigger than the film industry at this point. You know, like th- as an entertainment industry, it is it is huge. It is huge, and a lot of that we can chalk up to to things like mobile games, Facebook games, uh, things of that nature. It's not necessarily that everybody's got their gaming PC and they're playing PUBG or you know Rainbow Six or whatever. You know, like Whoa. like they. <laughs> what I, I just got some cool stats here. Okay, so. Okay, this is just the PC gaming market from 2011 to 2020 estimate for 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. In 2011, the market value in millions of US dollars for the value of PC the PC gaming market is at 15 it's like over 15 million dollars. And then by 2019, it's over 31 million dollars. Yeah. yeah. So across a eight year period, it's doubled, mm. which is cr- mm. it's just crazy in terms of like the PC gaming scene. Like most people are like, PC gaming is for nerds, but now it's like way more mainstream. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like just gaming has exploded on the whole. Yeah. So I mean, I think what's interesting is there really isn't any way to link video games with with violence in in the real world like even even the isolated instances you think about uh columbine right columbine they uh reference doom right well well they they were they were really into doom they didn't really reference doom in their writings i don't think but yeah um 
but the media used that as sort of the the scapegoat um the the standout reason for why they you know they they went on their rampage but i i i don't i don't think that's i don't think that's really an accurate portrayal of how things of how things go i mean i i don't i don't see any way to extrapolate these sh- single shootings or even violent crime generally I, I don't see how you would you would correlate that with with video games going up, especially since the the violence. I mean, violence across the U.S. Have, has gone down dramatically since the '90s. So, I think this question is going to be just forever debated until there's some better way of studying or examining the way video games impact people's actions directly, which I I don't know if a study is ever actually going to be able to do that. But I think it leads the industry to start really leaning in or or heavily critiquing games that are being created, developed, and also, you know, games that already exist. Um, There's this conversation about politics in video games or even, like, stigmas or you know, representation in video games. Um, I think it's good to discuss these ideas, but at the same time, it's getting a little strange out there. Um, Recently, Call of Duty has announced its new game called Modern Warfare. Again, uh, it's not Modern Warfare. It's not Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. It's not Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare Remastered. It is not Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare Reflex, which is the Wii port. It is called <laughs> Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Got There's it. no 4. It's yes. a complete reboot because, uh, uh, you know, originality is dead, and that's why this podcast is alive. Um, so this is besides the point. They seem to be really leaning into realism. Uh, in the game there's a grittiness to it and it's interesting to see how some of the press has came after infinity ward uh and sort of confronted them with like is your game political um there's actually a great video with some of the lead story writers or, or designers um who had transitioned from naughty dog which is sony owned studio most known for last of us and uncharted and they kind of respond to that question with more questions like, what does that even mean? Like, yeah, what they're that kind even? of incredulous about it too. They're, they're like, well, that doesn't really mean all that much when you say it. Like, we're not talking about specific political ideas or policy or anything specific to what's happening right now. We're talking about ideas of morality and we're we're bringing up the questions of of that and he says something like these are timeless questions these aren't political questions they're 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 moral and philosophical questions which i think is is to be honest it's probably the way that art should be in a lot of ways right i think i think having having art be expressly political in the sort of base sense of that word more often leads to to things that are propagandistic and less often things that are interesting you know what i mean whereas if you if you have your art wrestle with ideas of philosophy and ideas of morality and there's politics that flow into that 
I think that's when it when it becomes really transformative and and really unique and special, actually. Well, Cameron and I were talking about is the more we thought about the situation with modern warfare and discussion around politics and violence with video games, the main question we wanted to address today is, are video games political? And it's sort of a dubious question. It's kind of hard to pin down specifically. When we were thinking about it, we thought like, what is the most political game we could think of? And the first thing that came to my mind was almost the clickbait political games. And and we have a list of controversial games up on this website. You know, you think about Modern Warfare 2's No Russian, which is a mission where you're put in the shoes of um, basically an undercover agent who is involved in a terrorist attack. Um, and it's pretty brutal. Uh, and it also, this is what's weird is, is I hear some people sort of defend Modern Warfare 2's Mission No Russian because of its like ballsiness or, or it's like, well, it makes sense in the context of the story, but like Modern Warfare 2 is a, is a stupid Fast and Furious movie, right? Yeah. yeah. It's very, it's almost exists just to create articles. Um, and it's a really, you know, like I used to be like, oh, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. Now I'm kind of like, this is just like the game is stupid and over the top. I feel like it might have been a little distasteful to have that mission in. Do I want that mission removed? No. Did they give you the option to skip it? Yes. So, like, I feel just I have mixed feelings about the mission, but stuff like that is not what we're talking about when we're talking about political video games. I mean, you want to talk about a game like Postal 2, which is just mass murder and, and horrible jokes and, like, it, you know, a game like that is just trying to get noticed. It's you just trying I mean? to offend yeah. in a lot of ways. It's, well, and then there are a ton of other ones that are that are very similar that are trying to grab headlines. You think about that one called, um, what is it, Hatred? Yeah, um, it was just stupid. Yeah, which, is, I mean, it's a horrible idea, but but th- there are there are games that are designed entirely to to offend and be be horrible and turn heads essentially but i don't think that's necessarily the most interesting aspect of this and i think those games kind of get forgotten or are a stupid thing to mention on a podcast like this right where you're like okay this is this is not done very tactfully it's it's done just to get noticed and to be honest it's sort of an eye roll whereas i think a company like rockstar begins to take this idea and use it as one of its stronger suits in its games. Um, The Grand Theft Auto series is very infamous for being just completely immoral and kind of disgusting, and yet it's one of the best-selling games, like, over year in and year out. Even, like, after it's been released for forever, Grand Theft Auto V is still on the top charts. Yeah. You know? And I love how self-aware uh, the game is to the point where its main protagonists are almost making fun of the fact that the game is so violent and and terrible. It's it's kind of a it's like a Pulp Fiction esque game uh, where it it is it it's just like it knows what it is. I think one of the first lines that Michael gives after you complete the prologue to the game is he's in a therapy session 
talking to his therapist about his son who sits on the couch all day playing that violent video game and doing nothing with his life. <laughs> right in the face of the player who's sitting there playing this game. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know. I'm not happy. I'm not. And, and like it kind of launches the game, but it's like, whoa, like this game knows what it's doing, you know? And in that, it begins to show a bunch of social commentary. I think that's really where Rockstar is leaning into. It uses dis, um, like kind of disgusting, over-the-top, inappropriate things to lay a platform for social commentary. And this is nothing new to a lot of media. We read a book, and I've mentioned it before, called Native Son in English class, which is about... It's, it's just like this horrible book. I honestly hate this book. Um, it's about this black guy who's living in the dumps and he commits homicide and then goes down this rabbit hole of disgusting crime and it ends with just no hope and terribleness. And I'm like, I don't know what the point of this book was, but it, it basically used its like grotesqueness to then dive into a social commentary. A lot of people know the book Kite Runner. I feel like a ton of English books do this all the time, actually, where they just have some out of nowhere, grotesque, weird, terrible thing happen. And then it's it's like the first 10% of the book is normal. Something terrible happens. And then the 80% of the rest of the book is the characters trying to deal with whatever just happened, like great mm. literature. Mm. You know, you read um, Kite Runner. It's this normal story about two kids who are best friends. And then all of a sudden there's this terrible rape scene in it. It's like, honestly, it's, I was like shocked as a high school freshman. I'm like, why are we reading this? And then the rest of the book is about guilt, despair, and like, you know, kind of thinking about the past, being lost in the past. And it it provides this commentary through this horrific event. Does Rockstar Games do one horrific event? No, the entire game is horrific. (laughs) Um, But it's like Tarantino-esque where it becomes comical. And commentary then seeps through, mm. right? Is Does that make that game political, though? Well, no. I mean, not, again, not in the express sense of, of providing a sort of political commentary on things. I, I don't think it does. I think it's a question of, um, I think it, it, asks questions of morality questions of um of almost like can can these horrible people be redeemed can you can you find redemption in a in a terrible character i mean that's basically the the entire arc of every single rockstar game is it's the anti-hero can can you can a can a horrible person be redeemed like that's that's basically it, and I think they do that best in the in their latest title, Red Dead Redemption Two. I mean, it's in the title. Oh yeah, it's Redemption, absolutely. right? I think and that it's incredible. I think that game is fantastic. I just finished it, and yes, we could it, talk about it for a long time. Yeah, but it still doesn't answer the question: Are games political? And I think what Cameron and I were discussing before the show is that we noticed that video games have this unique position in art where they put the player in control of something. Or they interact with the narrative. And that form of consumption leads to morality being more entertaining than politics or political commentary. Yeah, it's almost like, I think it actually is very similar to those um, really stupid 
what are those called? Hypothetical questions, you right. know, where like, would you rather do this or this, you know? And, and some of them are re- like really weird and disturbing or, and others are actually like, you know, moral questions, things like the, 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 the train problem of the, the class, do you know about this? The classic train example. Um, if you have one person on a, um, on a, tra- on a, on a track that's just going, or sorry, if you have, I can't remember the, ex- anyways. I um, think I know which example you're talking about. It's like yeah, someone then, is stuck you, on the track. Yeah. And then it, a train is coming. You have five people on, on the track that's going straight and you have one person on the track that's going, that that's curving and you you are in in the capacity to pull the lever but that means you would be killing the one person instead of not doing anything to save the the five people right. um and so like that that's a classic example of these sort of hypothetical moral questions and i think video games do a really great job of posing that hypothetical and letting you play it out and letting you actually experiment and 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 be the example um be the sort of well, what would happen if I did this? You know what I mean? And I think games like... I mean, most Rockstar games are exactly this way. Of of There are times where... I mean, Red Dead is probably the best example of it. Where you really don't want to be evil most of the time. I right. found that I didn't I didn't want to, to bump into people. Or I didn't want to, you know, piss people off. Because, because it was it was worse to get in trouble in that game than it was um, to, to than the benefit. Yeah, and I think even in games that don't give you the choice, tactful ones will start to play with you, like kind of mess with your mind in that sense, mm-hmm. where it's like, I mean, Spec Ops The Line is famously linear, and it makes you do these horrible things and then start saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Why yeah. are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You're playing a game, you know? And it's like you're excusing it just because you're playing a game, mm. right? And that's mm. like, that's powerful for a video game yeah. to kind of transcend that. And I know we've sort of talked about this in our can video games be art um, or are they a cool art form? We did an episode on that. But, you know, even in a game like Grand Theft Auto where you are a bad guy, there's still like this sense of like, no, I am a good guy. You know, there's this hilarious scene where you, you rob a bank in armored suits and you have miniguns in Grand Theft Auto Five. And the game goes out of the way to say every cop in this town is a dirty cop along with the military that's funding this secret bank that you're stealing from. And then you go on this killing rampage and you just like murder them all. And like, but then you're kind of like, wait, does it like just because they're dirty cop, you know, like, yeah, yeah, it's like, and the game starts to make fun of you in that way too. Like, I love the fact that Michael has a therapist in these Rockstar games, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, "Ah, you know, I'm 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 a good guy." Like, you know, like I'm a good and it's it just starts and, you know, we've talked about Rockstar games enough. Well, and then you you think about other games that do the same thing, but but the expectation is that you'll have a choice and they actually don't give you one. Something mm-hmm. like The Last of Us and no spoilers here, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. So so in that game you're you're posed with a very very particular um, question in you know in sort of the third the last third of of that game and then when it comes down to it you're not given the choice right um, and and you you have to make the 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 hard decision um, 
but but they're doing it for you. It's like you don't you don't have any choice in this. The character has made up his mind essentially. Yeah. And, and it's a really interesting way to to flip that on its head in um in the question of morality of like this is what this character would do. But we're still asking you the question. You right. know, we're still asking you is this the right choice? You can see how powerful morality is in games over politics just by the fact that there are these walking simulator games i mean david cage games are i mean that would be heavy rain detroit become human and beyond beyond two souls two souls yeah. i almost said good and evil um it's beyond two souls they're literally just ex- films where you choose what can happen and i just started detroit become human it does it excellently mm. they have this storyboard where you can see all the splitting off decisions in mm. the game mm. and you can go back and like play through scenarios if you made different choices the whole entertainment is morality yeah right that is the entire entertainment of choices the game and something like that it's like wow this is just proving a point Hmm. um cameron and i literally the only political game we could think of that i genuinely thought was political not clickbait article junk not you know controversy for the sake of it was bioshock yeah and but that, again, it's still talking about political philosophy. It's not talking about politics, like specifically, you know. And I, and I think I think that's really the difference too between between games and movies in a lot of ways, is that when you when a movie is political, it's it's pretty much talking about a specific event or something that's happened in 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 the real world. Or something analog to what's happening now in the real world, you know. But when a game is being political, it's really able to explore um, a dynamic environment, I think. And I think that's what, what makes it... Um, I don't know. That's what that's what makes it kind of interesting, is that Bioshock is an exploration of, of essentially a libertarian utopia, right? It's an exploration of what might happen if if a group of, of radical libertarians move off in, in a, into an underwater city and things go really, really well for a little while and then things go really horribly wrong eventually. The other thing that I was thinking about in terms of video games is that dev cycles are a lot longer in video games. Whereas movies, you know, we were talking about that la- the Spike Lee movie, um, Black, Black Klansman. That seemed pretty relevant for the time period, not to say that he knew everything that was going to happen in the development process of that film, but it was, it was, you know, Juzo was talking about it on that podcast, how relevant it was to the time yeah. uh, in the, in the political scene of whenever that, what was that? 2017? 20, no, it was 2018. 2018. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was like, I'm not saying movies are easier to make, no, but they definitely have a voice to explore politics. I'll say movies are easier to make. I think that's true. I mean, I don't know. I I haven't really worked on either. So, um, you get my point though. No, you you understand what I'm saying. Um, it's hard. It's hard for me to think about what video games are like truly political. I I mean, I think, I mean, I think Bioshock is probably the go-to example, but can you think of video games that actually deal with policy or no. political policy or an actual political party? I mean, I guess things like like 
sim like on the on the not the sims but city like, builder yeah yeah simulator yeah. stuff stuff like that like but even then it's not re- none of those are really ever political like i play civ 5 do you lot. want to know the most political game i've ever played yeah settlers of Catan. i love let that me game. tell you <laughs> economic policy comes into play when isaac <laughs> sits down to play settlers of Catan. <laughs> Oh Are yes. you a free trade agreement guy? I am a monopoly guy. You know <laughs> what I mean? Just taking full control of the sheep market. Mm, I see. You know, people make fun of the sheep guy, but the second I claim that port, it's all over. <laughs> Let me tell you. I think the best the best monopoly to build is stone, but that's just a different strategy. I, I like to be with the sheep. I like to be out in the herd. You know, mm, mm, I see. You know, I'm a kid that read yeah, the Bible a lot. The, you know, the sheep, shepherds. Let's see. You know, and, the sheep. What do you need? You, do you have to have a sheep to build a settlement? You do, don't you? Yeah. Okay. But cities are stone and wheat. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or should I say or? Or. Forgive me, Jonathan. Or. Forgive me for saying stone one too many times. <laughs> Jonathan's gonna stone me if I say stone one more time. I I agree. Um, no, but I think. I mean, I think this is a really, well, I think let's bring it back to sort of the original content of our discussion. Um, and we can talk about sort of the political implications of, of video games. In my mind, the, the question really isn't all that much about studies and it's not about the, the real world effects. It's not really about that. I mean, it's about. I think it's about agency a lot of the times. I mean, all the time, actually. I think, like, if we, if we're ones, if we're people who are gonna, gonna blame it on video games or blame it on this group or that group or anything else, I think we're taking the blame off of the individual person who's making that decision. You know what I mean? I think, I think we really have to, um, stop scapegoating an idea or, uh, a video game or you know any of these things i think i think it really comes down to holding the people who who do this accountable yeah i i think you know and i and i don't want to dive too much into the conversation about shooters but it's seriously i mean it's seriously horrible nobody nobody can disagree with that and when we're talking about this, I think there's just this level or this feeling, emotion of injustice, right? Because usually these shooters, they die. Uh, it's almost a form of suicide. It's it's beyond selfish and disgusting. And everyone wants to jump to some sort of justice because there's not a justice that's that's taken place because death is almost what they desire, right? And, I, you know, I, I really don't blame people for jumping to scapegoats because it, it is, it's a hot issue, man. Like, it's horrible. I know, but, but it's not... But it isn't justice. To- it's not. And I agree. I totally hear where you're coming from. Um, I just... I think it's still important to understand where most people are jumping to. No. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I get it. I mean, I, yeah, that's why it's frustrating, though. Because at, at one hand, you you do understand and you do sympathize but on the other end, it, it's it's like we can't make these these conclusions based on what we're what we're feeling and what we're experiencing at the at the time. We have to have a I think we have to have a principle. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? I and, think- I, and I see a lot of division forming with it. Yeah. Right? I mean, just from the, the news outlets from gaming that I follow, it's suddenly a side. It's a, it's a new battle. Right, because yeah. it's like the media has come after video games, and well, we will defend. It's like it's not it's not Lord. that new because you, you think about back in the um, in the nineties, yeah. there, there was Jack Thompson who was trying to regulate video games, and you know it's not it's not new. It it I mean it even goes back further than that when people were um, were offended by books and were offended by movies and blah blah blah. But that's that's what I mean is we have to have a principle when it comes to these things. We have to we have to not it doesn't matter if these these video games are are um you know or, or it, the statistics on on whether or not video games cause violence blah blah blah. That doesn't matter. The principle is we don't censor art. We don't censor things like like books. We don't censor things like movies. We allow these free, expressive, and open ideas to be to be open to the public, and if people want to choose to engage with them, we allow that because because that's that's what's more important is the 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 freedom to choose. And why I say we have to we have to stop scapegoating these ideas and start putting the blame on the actual people is that they're the ones who d- who did this. You know, they're the ones that caused this. It's not. It's not the video games. We can't. We can't just. We can't just say that. We can't scapegoat that out. We have to be principled in it. That is very libertarian of you to mention the art complex, but it's understandable. You know, I think Cameron comes from, and I don't want to speak for you, but you come from a passionate understanding of history, and censorship of art usually leads down pretty bad paths, at least yeah. in terms of politics. Yeah. Um, censorship is hard, right? And uh, well, and we could talk about how censorship is likely something that that these people who do end up—I mean, especially the politically motivated ones—censorship is very often what drives people to these communities that radicalize. You know, that's At, yeah. It is. It is can be putting fuel on the fire. I'm interested, um, Cameron. Do you think? that some censorship is necessary ever mm, that's no. a, that's a that's a I, lo- that's a loaded question but like i'm sure maybe there might be something um no N- yeah ba- basically the yeah my opinion is no and does that come mostly from like philosophy for you yeah well well i take it from the uh the john stuart mill school of censorship which is if one man has um if 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 one man has an idea uh that that everybody else doesn't have he would be no no he would be no more able to censor or no no more um it would be it would be improper for him to censor the rest of the world just as it would the reverse right so so even if nobody holds his idea, it would be wrong for him to be censored. Um, and it, it it's 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 a principal thing, you know. It's not a it's not a practical thing. It's not a well. If we do censor, you know, these people, then 
this goes, you know, this other statistic goes down or, you know, violence goes down, blah, blah, blah. I, 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 it's not, it's not about that. It's not about practicality. It's, it's about being, being principled in, in what we believe. I think that's an interesting distinction because for me, or, or at least under, in understanding this conversation, right? Most of us put our own practicality first before mentioning, mentioning or, or thinking about censorship. I mean, just think about it from your own moral perspective, right? If I could censor everything that I didn't want to see, my life would be much more practical. Do you know what I mean? Or like, let's say that I could keep my kids from seeing, my future kids from not seeing things that I wouldn't want them to see. And I'd be like, thank God they're safe. They don't have to ever see this horrible stuff. You know, it's like, that's much more practical for my job as a parent. But is that necessarily the right thing? Well, it's probably not good for your kids. No, I mean, I agree. I'm. <laughs> it's not necessarily <laughs> something I want, yeah. right? But it would probably make my job easier. De- yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. it'd make it more practical. You wouldn't have to ever sit down and have those hard conversations, those hard Atticus Finch conversations with your kid, right? Mm. But genuinely, I'm like, those are the important conversations. Yeah. You know, I, I give my dad a hard time a lot, but he really did you know he he's a little bit of a of a tough cookie but uh he like he always would rip me to shreds about going to see violent movies or playing violent video games and you know it took me a while to understand he was coming from a perspective of care and actually and, and I think most people who have those kind of interactions with whoever it is that's above you um it can be kind of a frustrating thing, right? But what my dad was doing for me and what I realize now, and I think he sort of realized that I see it this way and he hasn't changed his delivery, which can be frustrating sometimes, but is it's him trying to make me think almost, almost consider what I'm doing or why I'm putting things in my mind or, or considering certain things. Have you like, I'm just curious, Cameron, have you ever watched something that you're just like, I can't watch any more of this and this is horrible. Well, I've been disgusted by things that I've watched. Yeah, yeah, or definitely. or something like media you've consumed. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But I, I've watched I've watched some pretty disturbing things. Um, <laughs> Film major. I I mean yes, yeah. I mean part of it is that, and also part of it is, I find those extreme examples kind of interesting to to study the the sort of outlier cases. Um, I mean, I took a horror class, a horror film class. Yeah. We, we talked about some really disgusting movies. Um, but also, I think it is interesting to study these films as a phenomenon and and to study these things as as what they represent and and what they do for culture generally. So and, and there are things that I've seen that I'm like, wow, I wish I did not watch that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I wish that like that was really disturbing and I, I didn't get anything out of it. And I kind of wish I could scrub it from my mind. But then at the same time, I'm, I'm also, you have to, you have to take it with, um, I guess you have to take it with the same sort of, with the same notion that you did as a kid where it was like, well, it's only, it's only film. What does it mean? You know what I mean? What is it? What does it represent? And why was 
someone so interested in making this that they spent, you know, two years of their lives dedicating, you know, time to this. I think this question is exhausting for a lot of people. Hmm. And there, there's a, there's, there are times, Cameron, where you mention stuff like this and I just roll my eyes and I'm like, what a headache and sort of like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I have no interest in that. Like sure. I have no interest in that exercise. No, yeah, and, no, no. And I'm I, not saying everybody does. And yeah. and I think you know when you say things like that, it's important for most people to be like, "Am I interested in that exercise?" And I think the the major issue with this contemplation, which I think is healthy and actually quite insightful and developing for someone, is that you know a lot of people aren't willing to put in the time or the mental effort to do that. Right. Yeah. And so when you see something horrible or, or horrific, whether it's in the media or the games you consume, like I, I guarantee someone has played Grand Theft Auto who's listened to this and thought this is one of the worst, most terrible games I've ever played. I can't believe Isaac's talking about it in this way. Truthfully, I, I know, and I can understand that. Yeah. yeah. Right. At the same time, Rockstar employs like what? I think it's over 300 people or something like that, at least in one of their studios. I'm guessing. I don't know what I'm talking there's about. There's a lot of, I there's, mean, they, they there's a lot employ of, a ton of people. There's a lot of people that work there. And I think to myself, right? I've spent the time thinking, like, are all of those people psycho savages that enjoy making these terrible video games, or is there actually something to it? You know, like, mm-hmm. is there actually something? Like, why is it one of the best-selling games? Is our world just falling apart and burning? Maybe. That's the cynic speaking to me. But it's like, there must be some sort of value in it. And it's and it can be playing with fire if you, if you feel like you're morally convicted. You know, just avoid stuff. You know, you are your own censor. Like, I'm yeah. going to be honest. You yeah. can be your own censor. That is a freedom that you should embrace. And that's great and that's healthy, too. It's, yes. it's healthy to be like, no, I just don't support this thing. You know, no, I just would rather protect my, my eyes and my heart. And I, I just don't, you know, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to play this. I right? don't want to play this. Yeah. yeah I, t- I think that's totally healthy, but that is a way, way, way different thing than saying nobody should play this. And I think that's a good distinction. And I think that sort of wraps up our conversation about censorship, um, which is a random ending note for this podcast. But when we're talking about violence in video games and, and maybe their possible correlation or no correlation with violent events in the real world, it's like it leads to a discussion of censorship. Yeah. And it's important. Well, we were talking earlier that, um, what, what was it? The Postal 2, right? Postal 2 is banned, not only banned in New Zealand, but it's a criminal offense to have the, the game in your possession. Now, I think that that is not only um well first of all postal 2 is is a pretty disgusting game you know like like just generally it's so stupid it, literally one of my friends gifted it to me on steam just to trigger me i mean it's 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 a dumb, it's a really dumb bad game you know like it's it's it it doesn't it it doesn't even make sense like right. i will be honest with you guys i've played it and it is the stupidest thing I've ever played in my life. It's not even like funny to some degrees. Like it's just dumb. Right, it's just right. dumb. It's just trying but, to get the clicks, bro. That's but, like the best way I can put it. But to get that off the table, to make it a a, a, a criminal offense to own that game 
is such an abridgment of of freedom and such an abridgment of of everything that it means to be to be free and to be in a um in a non-censoring um free democratic country like i i I think it's just so absolutely terrible i'm not disagreeing with you yeah at the same time don't waste your time playing this game no but it doesn't matter it it doesn't matter and i know i know where you're going with it right like no one's gonna miss that game but the fact that the government thinks that you couldn't make up your own mind about it Mm. is sort of the point that you're that you're kicking at it's like you'd be too dumb to distinguish that this is bad for you so we're gonna censor it so here's here's the here's the big argument from from john stuart mill this is on on liberty all right the peculiar evil of silencing the expression of an opinion is that it is robbing the human race, posterity, as well as the existing generation, those who dissent from the opinion, still more than those who hold it. If the opinion is right, they are de- deprived of the opportunity of exchanging error for truth. If wrong, they lose what is almost as great a benefit, the clearer perception and livelier impression of truth produced by its collision with error. It, essentially, he's saying... If he's if he's right, then obviously it's it's a it's a terrible thing to to be censored. But if he's wrong, it's better that that it's cleared and it's it's discussed and it's it's given a um, you're given a clear light because of this error. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's the that's the reason. It's not because you necessarily agree with the person. You know, it's not because you want to play postal. It's because you 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 don't want to be prevented from playing postal. Yeah. I think that's what's most important. Yeah. The game sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the game sucks. Take it from me. Don't worry, guys. You're not missing out on anything, but you are... You New Zealanders. <laughs> <laughs> but you are missing out on Cameron's political ideology i don't know i think what's interesting is that you know new zealand is a fascist state we talk about um (laughs) you know libertarian ideas to some degree just because philosophy is fun it's fun Mm. to talk about it and yet we are smart enough to recognize well i guess i shouldn't be so cocky but i guess the point i'm getting at is like it's still fun to criticize some of the things that you believe or consider right yeah i mean Cameron and I, we sort of have similar opinions about a lot of different things. But for the sake of this show, I try to push him a little bit. And I'm sorry if I ever offend you, Cameron. Oh, I'm not. You're never offended. offended. You're a pile of trash. Um, <laughs> so, like, I, uh, I, what I love is that we always recommend the game Bioshock. Mm. And that game is a huge critique of libertarianism. It is, yeah. And yeah. I love it. Like, yeah. I think it's, it's great. If I could encourage you guys to do anything randomly... As far as politics go, my favorite thing to encourage people is to criticize the things you believe in mm-hmm. because then you can really understand them and have a lot of fun talking about them. Um, that's a random thing I just wanted to say because I was hanging out with family and talking about politics oh, recently. Dear. And you know how that goes. Isn't that Team worst? sports. <laughs> Team sports. Go Raiders. I mean, Democrats, whatever. <laughs> whatever it is. But now we're just getting into political jargon i'm sure darren is throwing up in his mouth because who wants to talk about politics sometimes (laughs) i kind of agree though 
Well, that's why that's why questions of philosophy are so much more interesting. Yeah, and that's what I tell people. It's like, well, you want to talk about politics? Let's talk about philosophy. That's that's like this is this is the story I give for most people. Um, how do I put this? I don't want to give any specific names. Uh, there was a time that I was meeting with a friend who used to agree with me on something very specific, <laughs> right? And one day they came to me and said, I don't believe this anymore. Very like clearly and adamantly. And I thought to myself, huh, why? Like, why? how come you just switched all of a sudden, right? And he said, you know, it's just the facts. It's just the facts. That's what I believe now, right? Like, you can't argue with me. It's just the facts. It's, it's, that's, that's how it is, right? And I was like, that's not a good enough answer for me, you know? Mm. And so we sat there. We had lunch for about two hours. And I'm totally making this story <laughs> very wrong just to make whoever... I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to hide it as much as possible. We had lunch for two hours. And then this person told me a story about someone who had hurt their feelings really specifically. And I was like, huh, does this specific person or set of people somehow influence that opinion that changed up front? Is this really a question of the facts or is it a question of philosophy? Now I know I'm being very uh, vague and I'm being vague on purpose just to not like hurt anyone's feelings. Right. I love all my friends, even people that disagree with me. But I love how philosophy is usually where a change in opinion or a change in something standing or supporting starts. And no one admits that directly, right? Cameron, you sound like a loose hippie when you're talking about censorship, but it all comes back to your very strict philosophy, right? And I think that's why it stands. That's why it's strong. I think that's why people enjoy talking to you about certain things. A because hippie. <laughs> well, uh, let's be honest. Like people who are like no censorship, like it's it can be an eye roll, right? I'm just being honest. I, I guess. Just the same way someone who's like censorship all, let's censor it just like the Bible. You know, like that's a huge eye roll too, right? Yeah, yeah. So for me, or, or no, I think what's even more frustrating. I mean, that's pretty. We're going long, by the way. <sighs> How about what what's the time hour 17 okay we should wrap it up i know in any case um what i was gonna say is what's more frustrating than that is yeah 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 we shouldn't censor but you know what i mean like there's right. there's the there's the no censorship is 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 bad but in this case and that and like i said it always comes back to that heart of philosophy and yeah. i think what's hard for me to talk about is like Getting to that philosophy is what takes so long. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with friends where they tell me they just don't believe something or they support something very specific because, just because that's what they believe. And then suddenly they tell me this personal story about how this one event changed the way they saw things. Mm. And I'm like, dude, your philosophy is altered because of an experience you had or because you've taken in something. I mean, like, that's living. I'm getting very, very dubious i guess um but like you understand the point i'm, I'm saying make. philosophy should be based more than just on your personal experience because if it is it's limited 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, philosophy has to be explored through literature and personal experience, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or, you know, exploring certain stories and things like that. It's, the, it's the hard. unexamined life. Huh? The, what is it? The, the, the isn't that, I can't remember. Oh. I don't know what you're saying, Cameron. I know, I bet you I can get at yeah, what you're trying to get The unexamined at. life is not worth living. Hmm. It's from Plato. Very scholarly of you. Yeah. I think we've said enough. What do you think? Are you trying to censor me? I'm censoring Bro. you. I'm censoring you. <laughs> you're, you're such a censor. Cameron, I actually really, truly don't believe in censorship, but I do believe <laughs> in censorship of you, Cameron. <laughs> That's my job on this podcast. I kind of agree. Let's just tone it down, you know? Tone down the censorship. For No, for no tone. I'm oh, saying tone, tone down, down you. Got it. You you're, gotta be shut down. <laughs> cut out my opinions. You're a crazy... What was that sound? I dropped my phone. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is that sound? I thought the room was about to fall through. We're going to explode. We're going to explode. Please don't explode us. I have an opinion. Everything Comes From Something is currently 100% fan-funded, and the show wouldn't happen without supporters like you, especially... Our executive producers, Darren O'Neill, Kiana Layap, and Eric and Ariel Walk, thank you so much for your support of the show. And of course, even if you can't give financially, you can continue to support us by just listening to our episodes, giving them ratings on iTunes, and telling friends about the podcast. Even share a podcast episode if you think it's insightful or exciting or entertaining, it doesn't matter. Uh, we just are trying to get the word out about the show. We believe in our creative product, and we hope that you believe in it too with us. So we love you guys and we will see you next week.